Okay, so we were just talking about the Americanorama Festival. You caught the Nashville show. I caught yeah. the Atlanta show. Yeah. You were saying that you got a good show. You were pleased with it? Well, I kind of think you got a good show. You don't think you got one? I th- I, well, I know I got one. Yeah. But, I mean, I didn't get Dark Star. <laughs> well, at <laughs> but, least you um, got some weird. Well, yeah. You know, I'm not. It's weird. I'm not a big Grateful Dead guy. I never have been. I was always more into Fish than Grateful Dead. Yeah. But I'm kind of familiar with their stuff. And I kind of did my back catalog work a little bit to try to learn a little bit more before these shows just because I knew that I knew I knew that Jeff Tweedy is a big fan so the possibility for collaboration was high and um, there was still stuff they played in Nashville I had no idea yeah what it was but I did know what tomorrow never knows was yeah (laughs) you being that yeah you're a big Beatles fan um well that's I think that's probably the most exciting track that the Beatles ever put to tape. Why do you say that? Well, it's certainly, I think it's certainly the most experimental thing they ever put to tape. I think it's, you know, you run Ringo's drums backwards on it, which is just, if you're a drummer, that's just the most interesting thing in the world. And, you know, Revolver, it's like I have a different Beatles album every month, you know. Uh, I would say Revolver gets that honor every other month. I love Revolver. It's a great record. Is Ringo a good drummer? Ringo's a fantastic drummer. Why do, why do you think he gets because, the rap? Because he's well, not... He gets, a, he gets a bad rap because people think Neil Peart is a good drummer. Uh-huh. Now, he is a good drummer, but there's a lot more to playing music than technically playing music. Right. Music is a mental exercise much more than a physical one. And Ringo Ringo's a great drummer because Ringo mentally knew exactly what to play all the time. There aren't any drum tracks in that entire catalog of music where the drums are not exactly what they need to be. They're all iconic, you know, and and you can't... People try to replicate his style, his sound, and they can't do it. I've studied Ringo stuff for years, and every time we record, I try to do something like him, and it never comes out the same way. It just doesn't. But then you go see him play... And he just gets up and he does it. Because, you know, he played at the amphitheater. Yeah, were you here for that? Oh, yes. Yeah? It was a big, big deal for me. Was it really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it didn't seem like it was as big a deal for Tuscaloosa as it probably should have been. Well, I mean, you was, know, it, was again, it the first time a Beatle had been in town? Drummers, yeah, it had to be. And drummers always get a bad rap. Yeah. Nobody respects drummers. Well, nobody okay. respected Ringo, for well, sure. That's true. I mean, because he wasn't the other three guys. Yeah. It's hard when you're, you have arguably three of the best songwriters of your era. Actually, it's not arguably, it's... Fact. <laughs> the only person that can jump in that category is Bob Dylan, ironically. Yeah. But when you have those three involved, it's it's hard to it's hard for people to pay attention to you. But but you'd argue that Ringo's probably just as integral to the Beatles. I think Ringo's definitely as integral. Yeah. But I mean, a lot of times your fourth guy, or your fifth guy in a band, has to be the peacemaker. It has to be the one that kind of makes everybody get along. And 
makes everything work, especially in a studio setting. And Ringo is always willing to take chances in the studio and mic his drums a different way, you know, put a wallet on his snare. It's something he pretty much engineered and pioneered, something that every drummer in a studio does now. What does that do? Oh, it just muffles the snare drum. Yeah. You get a great crack out of a snare drum. And a lot of times, if you're in a studio, an engineer will try to limit the overtones that a drum set naturally makes just because you don't want it to... You want to take up space sonically, but you don't want to overpower anything else. And he would just always take his wallet out and just slap it right on the snare and hit it, and it would kill... It'd give you that perfect, what is now a Ringo snare sound. I've seen people put like a little pack of Kleenex on mm -hmm. a snare, too, and yeah. like duct tape it to have, it. I have, I've tried everything on mine. I've done everything from the wallet to paper towels to taking like a full like a drape or something and laying it over it. The things that you put on the bottom of furniture so they don't slide across the floor, uh -huh. I've stuck those on <laughs> like top of drums. Moving, moving men? Yeah, anything you can think of that can stick onto something and muffle. What's worked best so far? Honestly, you can buy these moon gel things at uh, the store. You okay. know? And that, that's, that, that usually <laughs> works the best. I don't ever do that, though, because they don't stick real good on mine. So I take duct tape and whatever kind of napkin or Kleenex I can find it wherever we're playing and just pop them on there. But you have to try it. You have to do it a different way every show because every room is different. And you want a different sound well, at times. I want the same sound, usually. It's just hard to do that because a room dictates the sound of a drum set almost more than the actual drum set. Okay, well, here's, a, here's the big question then. Okay. Is Meg White a good drummer? Meg White's a phenomenal drummer. <laughs> So and many drummers would disagree with you. Well, Why do you think that is? I'm a big fan. Those drummers are, what's the word? Resentful? Idiotic, I think <laughs> is the word. And the reason I say that is because, again, I think it's just how you define a good musician. If you define a good musician as somebody who technically can do a lot of different things, then, well, number one, I'm not a good musician by that definition. <laughs> Meg White certainly would not be a good musician by that definition, and Ringo wouldn't be. But Ingwe Malmsteen would be the greatest guitar player to ever live, which I vehemently disagree with. Uh -huh. I think that a good musician knows when to play, what makes the song work, how to play their instrument to fit and present a song in the best possible way. To do what they do well. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think Meg could probably play better than she does. I just think that she is smart enough to understand, and obviously Jack White is smart enough to understand that the songs they're putting out don't require a whole lot of drumming. They, it needs straight-ahead, powerful, hit-you-in-the-stomach type stuff. And she was so good at that. Frankly, that's why I think anything Jack's done since has just not lived up to it, because it's all boring to me. I kind of agree with you. You know, <laughs> I, I, I think the Rack and Tour stuff was fun. Some of it was. I think the Dead Weather stuff was better than the Rack and Tour stuff. Mm -hmm. But none of it has come close to what he was doing with yeah. Meg. And he's playing with far, you know, what people would call far superior technical drummers and yeah. other musicians, but they just had something. I was at the la I was at the Sloss Furnace show, which was fantastic, and I was at the last show the Stripes ever played in um, South Haven, Mississippi. Uh, was that the next night? I think it was the next night. That was the last show. That was the last show wow. they ever played. That's insane. And it was, you know, it's Memphis suburb, but it's in Mississippi, and they pretty much just did the entire like Delta Blues catalog for the whole thing and then Jeez. three or four of their songs to close it and it was an amazing show anything I've seen with Jack White afterwards has just really let me down I, I didn't even buy the last record you didn't like the solo stuff mm -hmm. yeah even, did you go see him live man. I saw the Rockin' Tours live but not the solo tour I actually saw the first Rockin' Tours show too yeah but I'm a big Brendan Benson fan too. okay we I saw him in Nashville 
Yeah. 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 I forget that. And I saw the dead weather in Birmingham and it was good. Of course, I like the kills too. Yeah. It's a great band too. (laughs) Um, But I I wouldn't, the Shakes played with Jack at the Ryman in Nashville and and I didn't, I didn't go. And he was playing White Stripes songs on that Mm -hmm. tour too. Yeah. I could have gone and I didn't go. Yeah. Why you made the choice not to? Yeah. Why? Just because I just I'm not I'm not excited about what he's doing anymore. If he wants me back in the mix, he needs to do a number of things. One of them is stop selling fifty dollar novelty <laughs> records to dork kids who don't know any better. Two, get Meg back in the fold, and three, make exciting music again. So okay, the vinyl thing because you're a big vinyl guy. I know. I've been collecting records since I was ten years old. Jeez. Well. So you don't like what he's doing with vinyl, and he's well. I think he's taking advantage of people. Yeah, I think why are CDs not selling anymore? Because the record industry decided, and I work in music retail, and I have for years, so I feel like I'm somewhat qualified to say this. (laughs) The reason people don't buy CDs anymore because they don't believe it's a good value. It's not because it doesn't sound good. It's not because it's not convenient. It's because they don't think it's a good value. It's because the record industry and you know retailers decided. We need to put a list price of seventeen ninety eight on every CD we sell, and it alienated people. And the minute people figured out they could steal it, they did it. And the reason the reason they justified that, the reasoning they used to justify that was they've been ripping me off for ten years, so they can deal with. Honestly, that's a fair justification to me because they have been ripping people off for years. And now that vinyl is cool again, in order for it to stay cool and for people to feel like they are still getting a good value and people to feel like they're still getting something that's worthwhile. We need to make sure we're not gouging people. And I mean, you know, like you, you can make music a collector's item, you know, like, well, this, this record's blue and this record's pink and this record's striped. <laughs> but well, vinyl back then was how you listened to music. That's right. Now it's just, it's a novelty in, the, a, in novelty, a lot of cases. But it's, it's hip. Like you said, it's cool again. It, yeah. But for that reason, it's expensive. That's right. And it does cost more to produce, too. Yeah. Um, especially if you want to do it in a quality manner. But Jack White is laughing all the way to the bank. Yeah. He is gouging people. Uh-huh. And with these special uh, this editions. This record store day stuff he comes out with. Uh-huh. I mean, he puts a seven inch and it's like 12 bucks. <laughs> yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And the, he, the reason he can get away with it is because he's trading on something that's hip. He's not trading on something that's. I mean. He's selling White Stripes reissues, for well, God's sake. That's know, what he's selling. He, he was one of those guys where if he was on like Conan O'Brien or Letterman or something, you know how they would say, you know, coming up, the White Stripes, they would always be holding the record Absolutely. instead of the CD. So it seemed like Jack White was one of these guys who really pushed vinyl yeah. sort of back into the mainstream. So he at least yeah. deserves credit for that. Absolutely. But at this point, now you're saying he's taking advantage. I think he is. Yeah. You know, and like, it's weird. Cassettes are getting cool again. Which I do not understand at all. That's the most ridiculous Where? thing I've ever heard of. In Muscle Shoals? Oh, no. I'm telling you, you can mark my words on this. In the next year or two, you're going to see bands start putting out the records on cassette. Is there going to be cassette day? And there's going to be people that buy cassettes because it's different and it's cool and they think it's neat and they think it's hip. But you're not going to be able to make the same argument about cassettes that you can make about vinyl. Like, it doesn't sound better. It sounds like crap. <laughs> but it's cool. and People might think... The fact that it sounds like crap is what makes it sound better. That hey, might man, be the hip thing now. You know, not to, uh, I don't remember who said this, but it's an industry of cool. Right. It really is. Actually, I know who said it. Lester Bangs, yeah. is famous, yep. said that. Yep. It is an industry of cool. <laughs> the problem is that the music now is not cool. The product has to be cool. Do you think that there's enough cool music out there? No. No? No, I think we're in one of the most creatively dead periods of 
music has ever been. You don't think there's enough to get by every year? I mean, you can get by, but, you know, I mean, in Nashville, creativity means getting a banjo and kicking a kick drum on stage mm-hmm. and wearing a cool hat a fedora, that you got yeah. in like a $500 <laughs> hat store. That's cool. Yeah. In Brooklyn, cool is getting on a computer and making noises. That's cool. And that's fine, but I don't buy it. Mm-hmm. You don't see the substance. No. I'm yeah. sure there is substance to it, but I don't see it. Yeah. And that's the beautiful thing about art is that I don't have to justify why or why not. I, I think something is cool or important or not. I just don't like it. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, maybe there is something amazing happening and I just don't see it. Maybe I'm just some fuddy dud who do doesn't you, understand it anymore. But do you think that there's somebody I'm now? <laughs> do you think there's somebody now that you can call? the best that you that that's out there right now you think is like the greatest who's still recording and can you know if you had like a power rankings of musicians right now who would be like the top three out there you think are still making great music well i think in any era i think and i would be laughed i'd be laughed at in any circle for saying this but i think the best band in america right now is wilco who would laugh you out because oh many people you think so it's cool to not like wilco now oh oh it it is believe me that's interesting oh yeah There'll, there'll be people i will get People will listen to this podcast and they will, I will have people come up to me and go, oh yeah, yeah, Wilco's really great. Yeah. You're really, you're really innovative. <laughs> you know, they've been doing the same thing. They've been doing dad rock for 10 years. Dad you know? rock. Well, you know, I wow. like dad rock, so get over it. Yeah. I think they're great. I think they're consistent and make great records. And I think Jeff Tweedy's a fantastic songwriter. Yeah. I can identify with what he's saying for whatever reason. You're a big Radiohead guy. I love Radiohead. Yeah. I don't like their last record though. Yeah. I don't like two drummers kind of weird <laughs> as a drummer well you know i mean they're getting <laughs> i can do it myself i think tom <laughs> i think tom york is i think tom york is a genius let me just say that sure i think he is an absolute bona fide genius but i think sometimes a genius can slip up and get a little too smart and i think that might be what what happened like overthinking his his music it's a little much yeah. i just couldn't maybe the melody wasn't there i'm kind of a traditionalist on stuff like that I don't know. I just kind of got bored. That's interesting. It's it's funny too because you said the two drummer thing because like going back to the White Stripes, I would talk to a bassist who hated the White Stripes because he said it needs bass. Right. <laughs> so I guess you know, to each his own. It's yeah. different with everybody. Yeah, and you know that's the thing. Like if somebody out there listening loves the new Radiohead record, it doesn't mean that it's not good. Uh-huh. It doesn't mean that they're wrong. It doesn't mean I'm wrong. That's the joy of talking about art sure and they'd be a radiohead apologist right like you're a wilco apologist i am (laughs) i I think i even think wilco the album is a good record yeah that is that is universally thought of as their worst worst album i think the whole love is great i think it is fantastic yeah i think it's one of of the best things they've done in a long time yeah it's like your favorite wilco record uh i'd hate to you know be just like everybody else and go back to Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. What's I love that? Sky Blue Sky. Yeah. I think it's great. But I also really like the whole love yeah. a lot. But I think Yankee Hotel is probably. I think Yankee Hotel Foxtrot and A Ghost is Born are like yeah. a 1A and 1B. Yeah. And it's hard to argue against that. Yeah. But I just have really enjoyed the last three records they yeah. put out a lot. See, I have friends like Matt Green, who is the singer in Belladere. He'll swear by Summer Teeth. So Summer Teeth is the best thing they've ever done. I think he'd say that. It's I'm all sure, good. I'm sure he'd say it. Yeah, it's, it's all, all good. It's all great music. And the thing about their shows, too, is that they incorporate every single album. Yes, and, I mean, they, they don't discriminate with any of their albums. Well, you know, they have they have musicians now of such a high caliber. They can go back to that stuff in their catalog and reinvent it. 
Yeah. And it's really, really neat to watch and yeah. see. Because, you know, I saw them a couple times before Nels Klein was involved in the band. I saw them a couple times before Mikhail Jorgensen was involved in the band. And this is the definitive version of Wilco. If it gets any better than this, I cannot wait to see how much better it can get. Because this Bennett fans are going to be shaking their fists at you, though. I love Jay Bennett. Yeah. I think Jay Bennett's a genius. <laughs> I seriously do. Yeah. I think he is a brilliant musician, and I love what he brought to the band. There would not have been a Yankee Hotel Foxtrot without Jay Bennett, and that record would not have been as good. And frankly, I think, I don't know if Jeff, without a foil in the songwriting process, can ever get back to the highest peaks that Yankee Hotel Foxtrot had. The reason he got to those peaks is because he had a, he had a foil in songwriting and production in Jay Bennett, and they pushed each other as high as it could go. It's the same thing with the Beatles. Paul McCartney had great solo albums, so did John Lennon. They never had anything as good as the Beatles records. I'll tell you though, man, like when I see people taking their bathroom breaks during the Art of Almost or One Sunday Morning, which I mean is a 12-minute track. One Sunday Morning is my shows. favorite track on the record. It's incredible. Yeah. And it's what, like a 12-minute track studio version, isn't it? Yeah. And maybe even longer live, and they've opened shows with that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they did it at the Ryman. Last year, I think they opened they opened with Less Than You Think, which is like a 14-minute just noise dirge from A Ghost is Born. It's great. Yeah. And then One Sunday Morning, then Poor Places, then Art of Almost. You know, and it was just like, I love that. And a lot of people don't like Jeff Tweedy because he's kind of a jerk. Right. I love him because he's a jerk, <laughs> because he ch- he's always challenging the audience, you know? Well, we Same always, thing with Bob Dylan. You know, his banter is so great, too. Oh, it's fantastic. You know, and especially like, I mean, there are all these YouTube videos out there, yeah. especially when folks are filming them. Yeah. And he sees them in the front row. Yeah. One that my wife and I always go back to is this rant he did where he would accuse audience members of forfeiting their memories yeah. is the way they put yeah. it. And it's so true. Yeah. Put you your think camera that? down. You think that? I mean, yeah. d- did the young woman come out before the Americana Rama show? Before the Dylan set to yes. say, no cameras, yes. enjoy it live and in yeah. person. Which is fantastic. It's, it's pretentious to do that. Yeah. Most definitely pretentious to do that. But I love that. <laughs> Put your camera phone down. Put your phone down. You paid money to enjoy this. Right. You can go YouTube it. Yeah. I mean. But you're here. Somebody's taping this thing here, you know. <laughs> Better than you are. Exactly. This is 2013. <laughs> you're going to be able to hear this stuff again. Yeah. Chill out. You know, you got into these bands at, I'm guessing, and and into music in general at a pretty early part in your life. I know that you were into music in high school. Well, I I mean, I was very lucky to have, my whole family is pretty deep into music. My uncles are all musicians. You know, one of them still professionally is. And my grandmother, when I'd go to my grandparents' house, we'd sit there and listen to, you know, jazz albums and stuff. What kind of jazz? uh, Stan Getz. Art Blakey. I was weaned on Art Blakey at a very young age because, you know, it's like, well, he wants to be a drummer. He needs to he needs to know what all this is. So you wanted to be a drummer that early in your life? Oh, yeah. I was always hitting stuff. Okay. So oh, when yeah. did you start playing drums? I started playing drums when I was 10 years old. Okay. Much to the chagrin of my parents, in our one-story house, I would play <laughs> religiously for a couple hours after school every day, and I did that until I moved out. No basement? Oh, no. Oh, brutal. No. But my mother was okay with it. My dad drove him nuts. But, you know, he got over it. My mother was okay with it because growing up, her brother was a drummer, too, and did the same thing. So she could just block it out. It was amazing. She would just walk in while I was playing and, like, motion, like, hey, shut up for a second. I'm going to tell you something. Okay. All right. Fine. You're good. She just doesn't hear it. So they were supportive. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They got you your first drum set. I have 
taken a lot of very, very large risks in my life to do this. Uh-huh. And my parents have always been very supportive of it the whole way. So what kind of music did they listen to? Did they? Well, I was anything? raised on the Beatles. There's a reason I love them so much. That was all that was ever in the car. Um, it was a very, very big thing. And, you know, it was always the Beatles from my mother, and it was always Steely Dan from my dad. Steely Dan. And um, throughout the years, me and my dad have gone to see Steely Dan concerts, and me and my mom have gone to see Paul McCartney concerts. Huh. And that's like one of our big things that we do. Yeah, music was always important because it made people happy. It made mm-hmm. us happy, you know. And that's that's a very simple joy you can pass to other people. Music is always important. It was always a big thing, you know. And I think it was always in the back of their head, like he's really going to try to do this, and can't stop for transparency's sake you and i went to the same high school yeah the same elementary school yep even verner elementary i remember back in the high school days you're a relatively conservative guy yeah right and yeah. was that were you a product of your household in that way um I, well i think it's probably a product of the whole area yeah you know church I mean, yeah 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 absolutely and i don't think that again i think time molds people into who they are i think it's like you kind of in your 20s you kind of realize actually who you are yeah and it all kind of works that way i've always god i've always thought a million different things about a million different things but i've always been pretty vocal about it that's one thing that hasn't changed i can't help that too much but you know even that was never music was always the the kind of the one quote-unquote rebellious thing that i ever did that was always the thing I was working on in the background. And so, but that's the thing you ended up sticking with. Yeah. The rebellious thing. Yeah. And why do you think that is? Well, one, it's not that rebellious. I mean, like, I, it's not like I'm in the Sex Pistols. You know, I play in one quiet melodic band and one loud melodic band. And nothing, there's nothing really controversial about anything I do musically. But I don't know. I just don't want to live like everybody else does. And I think that's one of the things you grow up in the South. And everybody lives the same way. And at a certain point, it's just like, okay, everybody has this road that is completely mapped out for them, it seems like. It's like you're going you're gonna to graduate here, then you're going to go here, and you're going to graduate there, and you're going to pick something to do, and that's what you're going to do, and you're going to enjoy it. And then you're going to get married when you're 23, and you're going to have babies, and you're going to stay here, and that's what you're going to do. And I don't know. I guess at some point I just saw the writing on the wall. It's like if I don't break out in a very severe way that's exactly what i'm gonna do it doesn't mean it's easy because it's not but that always scared the hell out of me okay so when you were younger and then when you were in high school and you had this whole conservative thing going and you were going to church when did things start to change for you a little bit well or did they they certainly did yeah there's no doubt about that but i don't know i just the satisfaction of the things that i was doing stopped cashing in around college and, you know, I think there's a whole lot of soul searching you have to do there. But there's a point in every person's life, I think, where you have to make a decision about what actually makes you happy. What makes you happy as opposed to what makes other people happy? What moves you as opposed to what moves other people about what you do? And just lost the desire. Desire to do what? Mm, what everybody wants uh-huh. you to do. You know? I, and... It's a slow, it's kind of a slow thing to do, but I just got sick of it. I got sick of the same old crap, man. And and I got sick of, it was just like, in the back of your head, it's like, what do you really want to do? What do you really want to do? And it's like, well, man, I want to be a musician. I want to play. Might as well go try. And when did you start trying? Well, 
I made a conscious effort to start making decisions that would put me in the ballpark of being able to do this in college. And then once you make one decision and it goes okay, you make another one. What was the first thing that went okay for you? Well, I started making money playing music. <laughs> yeah, well. You know, I, I'd go, I'd go to, um, I don't know, we, we, you know, I'd go with a couple friends, play at a bar in Tuscaloosa for three hours, play stuff that I've known how to play my whole life, not even really concentrate that hard on it, <laughs> just have fun and get paid a hundred bucks <laughs> for nothing, for something I would do on my own for free. Mm-hmm. Do that four times a week for a year. And you get a lot better at what you do, number one. And you realize, number two, what you really want to do and why this is not going to work much longer. And three, you realize that you can actually make a little bit of money doing this. And you kind of break out and go try. Who are you playing with at this point? Oh, it was usually Stuart. Stuart Bond. Absolutely. Yeah. Me and him, that was... Stuart Bond was my musical brother. And that's who I'd always go play with. I still contend that me and him can jump on a stage or in a studio or anywhere and read each other's minds on what to do and what to play. Well, you guys played Galettes recently, didn't you? We did. It was weird. Last Friday. He had, had, I don't think he's going to be here much longer. I think he's going to move. But it's still easy money, you know, to go play something like that. And he was like, you're in town tonight. Did you drive yourself? And I was like, no. He goes, well, dang it. I need a drummer. (laughs) I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll find a way back home. I'll play. This will be fun. And so we did. And it was easy. I mean, we hadn't we haven't played together in a year and a half. It was just simple. Did you just play like covers? Riding a bike. Yeah. Yeah. Just riding a bike. Yeah. How easy. was was that your first time playing Galettes? We'd actually played. I've played Galettes many times. <laughs> it's always easy. Yeah. Nobody pays attention. What kind of stuff you playing? God, it was just like your typical blues, <laughs> classic rock cover type things. Yeah. It was easy. It was fun though. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, yeah. When you when you get paid for doing something that's fun and easy. That's a good feeling. Yeah. Now, it's something that I couldn't do every night anymore here. I reached a point where I wanted to be creative. Yeah. So, because you were playing these bars and you were getting paid 100 bucks a gig yeah. and playing cover sets and things like that, yeah. at some point you have to decide whether or not you want to keep playing covers and yeah. just doing this for however long. Yeah. Or you want to start getting involved with creativity and original music. Yeah. I made way more money in Tuscaloosa than I do now. Yeah. Way more. <laughs> I took a major pay cut to like, to be creative. To be creative. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. You know? But when did you decide, okay, now I need to start creating? Well, I mean, it's something that always bugged me. Uh-huh. And I finally just, it was like, either do something else or have a complete mental breakdown the next time you go on stage and play Johnny Cash. I mean, that's exactly what I had to do. I'd been looking for a place to move for a while, and I knew a lot of people in the shoals, and I was planning on doing it. I was planning on making the move. The tornado happened. That was a major deal. And yeah. Okay. Before we get there. Yeah. Let's let's stay in Tuscaloosa okay. because you were very active in yeah. the music scene in yeah. Tuscaloosa for a while yeah. before you made the move to the Shoals. Yeah. You worked at Oz Music. Right. You founded your own record label. That's a really loose term. Well, nobody else was doing it. Well. Called Hackberry Records. Yeah. What went into that exactly? Nothing. Um. <laughs> That was um, that's ambitious. Well, it's it, well, it it is, but it isn't. It, uh-huh. wasn't, it wasn't a record label. Anybody with any real knowledge of what it takes to, to create a record label, and you know this as well as anybody, knows that wasn't a record label. What it was was a 
it was a promotional tool to endorse people in this town that I thought were doing something worthwhile mm-hmm. and try to basically I made a commitment to the people I played music with and to myself because I like Tuscaloosa. I like living here. I like this area. I made a commitment that I was going to try my hardest to create the environment here that I wanted before I just dropped it and left. So, yeah, it wasn't, in your words, it wasn't a real label, but it was out there. People knew what it was. Yeah. That's the success unto itself. Sure. Did you think Hackberry Records was successful in, in terms of like what you well, would lay I think I think it, if, if your idea, well, I guess it depends on your definition. If your definition of success is creating conversation about what you're trying to promote and getting more people interested in what you're doing, then yeah, it was a success. Yeah. But the problem is that I was, I was a kid and... I hadn't thought beyond level one the entire process. It was just like, I'm bored. I want to try to create something cool. Let's just see what happens. Let's throw it at something against the wall and see what sticks. So who all did you have? Obviously, Stuart was on board. I believe Kalu Kalei was one of yeah, the... actually playing with him Friday. Love those guys. They had them, and then my friend Daniel Chrysler, who's in the Shoals, uh, his solo act was on there. He actually just finally put his record out, and it's fantastic. Was Squirrel House part of it? No. No? No, I never could reel them in. No? Is, it, is that something you had to do with local acts? Reel them in? Have them sort of Not buy into what I you were doing? I think it's just doing? people that I got along with. Yeah? Friends? Um, friends. It was, yeah. it was a collection of friends, but it was also people that I respected and thought were doing something worthwhile. It's not to say that people that weren't involved with it, I don't think they were doing something worthwhile. I think a lot of times people might have gotten that impression. Yeah? Because I'm generally kind of an abrasive person. Uh-huh. I don't really know how to change that. I'm sorry. <laughs> well. Oh, I know a lot of people hated my guts throughout the entire process. The know? whole Hackberry oh, era. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, I mean, but uh, the thing is, is like, I, one, I don't give a damn. Uh-huh. I, I just say that without any reservation. Uh-huh. I could care less because <laughs> the thing is that I knew this was the case. I could come back here in two years and the people who were, you know, really concerned and didn't like what I was doing, they'll be doing the exact same thing they were doing. So yeah. I, I really could care less. And two, again, like I can feel myself starting to wind up and go down that path. I'm just an abrasive person. Yeah. I don't know how to change it. I've tried. I can't. That's it. But in that case, do you feel like you were competing with other people with Hackberry? There was Hackberry and then there was the rest of the local scene. I always feel like I'm competing. Yeah? I love compete. That's I mean, I always feel that way, man. I don't know. It's it's I, that's just my nature. Like if I'm writing for a newspaper, I'm competing. I want my byline right. to be the best damn thing in that paper. Right. You know? If I'm playing on a bill with four bands, I want our band to be the best one. If we're opening for someone, I really want to be better than the headliner. You know, it's just... Is that what drives you more, though? I mean, is it less of a collaborative thing than it is a competition? Because, I mean, with that attitude, and like you said, if people had the perception, and you even say that you're an abrasive person... Oh, yeah. Do you feel like back then that created division while you were here? I I never handled it right. No? No. And you can look... But see, you look back and you can say, like, you didn't give a damn or you don't give a damn, but you can also look back and say, I didn't handle it right. Yeah, I didn't. So, were there things that you would have changed um, or done differently? If I would have changed it, I don't really know. I don't really know how I would have. Yeah, like I'm at a point where I can look at myself and realize I do things. I might do things wrong, but I don't really know how to change it. I don't really know how I do it different. But I will freely admit that I do things wrong. <laughs> Still, you know what I mean? Still, sure. Yeah, well, who doesn't? <laughs> you know, I mean, of course. Well, but- did you did you take any of that? And we'll get to when you moved off. Did you take any of that? 
experience in Tuscaloosa and have this sort of like retrospective attitude now about it where you can say, I did it wrong, but I don't really know how to change it. Did you take any of, I, I guess, what you might consider negative experience yeah. experiences yeah. and sort of retool your philosophy and attitude sure. and apply that to the muscle shoulder? Sure. Well, I think Tuscaloosa, what happened in Tuscaloosa with me was frustration. Mm -hmm. And I'm still frustrated about it because this town can be a lot better than it is. Well, that seemed to be your attitude that entire time. Yeah. That this, Tuscaloosa can be great. Yes. The people are here. The creativity is here. We just need yes. to act on it. The arts community in this town still can be monumentally better than Right. So you had that, and you wanted to be proactive. Sure. And you wanted to be a part of Tuscaloosa's emergence in yeah. that regard. But then you went to Muscle Shoals. Right. So what happened? I couldn't take it anymore. Really? Really. So, I mean, and I honestly don't feel like I'm the person to do it. Okay. I just don't. Do you feel like you gave up on Tuscaloosa? Um, yeah, I know I gave up on it. Yeah. I've still given up on it, which is terrible to say. I'm sorry. I know this is like <laughs> a Tuscaloosa podcast and I'm sorry, but I, I gave up on it because I'm not going to wait on people to get up and do something. If they, there was more than a million opportunities. It's closer now than it's ever been. You think it's closer than Absolutely. when you were here? Absolutely. But what happens when Saban's not winning national championships anymore? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's the frustration to me. It all revolves around things that you can't control. Right. And, yeah, I mean, it's still frustrating. It's still frustrating to come back, you know, because traditionally, I mean, we do well with shows here. I think we do well with shows here because it's like I, I get people to come out. Yeah. You know, but it's the same stuff. It's the same collection of people doing the same things. And there's nothing wrong with that if you're pushing your boundaries and if you're really pushing for something that's bigger than yourself. When you say the same thing and people are doing the same stuff, talk specifically about what you mean. Well, see, this is, this is the problem. This is, this is why people think I'm a jerk or why people thought I was a jerk. It's because I could say a paragraph of something that everybody would agree with and then I could add one sentence at the end <laughs> and it kills it. That one sentence, the one sentence that you were poking me to say right now, is exactly why I can't lead anything here. Uh, it's why I'm not fit to do it, because I don't have the ability in my soul to not say that sentence. I don't have the ability to sit here and say that, just be, I, I can't just sit here and be, well, I mean, you know, I, everybody, I think everybody's really cool and everybody's making really good stuff. I just wish people pay attention, because mm -hmm. that's a lie. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you why people don't pay attention. People don't pay attention because the stuff is not that great. We can push each other more. Yeah. We can make better stuff. You know why people all over the world pay attention to stuff out of Muscle Shoals? A town of 35,000 people. There's a history of music there. Yes, that helps. But people that are into Wilson Pickett are not buying records by the bear. People are buying records by the bear because the bear is excellent. Mm -hmm. It's because there's a community of musicians there that consistently hold each other to a higher standard. They hold each other and they push each other beyond what they think they can do. It is everybody's obsession. That's the kind of community you have to have if you want people to pay attention. Well, it seems like Muscle Shoals in that regard, there's obvious history to latch on to yeah. and a standard to latch on to. Sure. And yeah. the, the city and the community of artists sort of are mandated to be that good. Yeah. They feel like, I mean, do you feel like Muscle Shoals folks feel like they have to push themselves because they have to measure up to the past of the city? I don't know about that. I think I don't think the past plays into it. I think the present does. Yeah. Because I can tell you right now, everybody that's making a record right now in that area is listening to the other records that were made. They want to do something just as good. 
I don't think many people up there would qualify it as competition because everybody's so friendly and nice to each other. I'm probably the most competitive person in that whole mix. <laughs> That's just my nature. Like I, competitive is, is a weird term to use because I love all these people. Right. You know, it's not, it's like I'm competing, but I'm listening to all the records and I love them too. Well, you left Tuscaloosa and okay, before you left, you mentioned the tornado and that was yeah. a big deal for you. Well, cause yeah. I know that you had family who were impacted by that. Yes. And were you were you living in Tuscaloosa when it hit? Yes. Okay. So yeah. talk about that. I was downtown. Yeah. So um, on April twenty seventh, I mean, what what happened that day um, for you? Sorry. Um, it was it was the hardest it was the hardest couple of days of my entire life. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are obvious reasons, right? Sure. I mean, but, even like even thinking about it, talking about it, yeah. Like I, I feel the nerves. Yeah. In my body. And I, and I'm sure, and everybody here does. I totally, I mean, sure. That's not, that's not like a unique thing for me. But well, it's, everybody has a story that day, yeah, right? Yeah. But talk about yours. I um, mean. well, I mean, uh, a lot of it, a lot of it I'll keep to myself just at the, at the risk of sounding dramatic. Uh-huh. But long story short, my grandparents lived in Alberta and it, it was devastating. And, you know, I spent, with the help of a lot of friends here, I spent the next two, three, four days hiking stuff into that area. My granddad at the time was on a uh, breathing machine, and when the power went out, you know, it, they lived it. They lived in. They live in a really weird part of Alberta. It's like at the very bottom of a hill, and I mean, they were evacuated by like a like the army ended up. Like somebody from like military ended up like dragging them out of that area. You couldn't get a car down there. You couldn't get anywhere close. I mean, it was. Um, I spent that whole night hiking a uh, generator down to their house. It was intense. I mean, I ended up in the hospital too. I mean, after it, just from like damaging my body. By I mean, but everybody was just acting on whatever they could do at the time. I had no experience in disaster relief, you know. So I pulled a hernia through my stomach. <laughs> But I mean, you know, and that's fine. I mean, I don't, you know, I, I wish, I wish I could, I wish something more could have been done. It was just a disaster. It's horrible. It's horrible. Your grandparents end up okay? My grandmother was. My granddad died a couple months after it. Yeah. Um, he was already, he was already not doing really well. But the stress and the anxiety of all of it killed him. I firmly believe that. Really? And yeah. And that that was just. The, the the greatest emotional trauma you could possibly inflict on that on my, my grandparents and and it's it's not even remotely healed it's not healed for anybody around here you know and it changed me i'll tell you that it changed the way i look at everything and um it was the most intense it was the most intense period of my entire life and i don't know it was just it was just crazy it was crazy and it still is i mean i, I go over there I come back home as often as I possibly can just to go over there and hang out with my grandmother because she, she will not move. She refuses to move. Still in Alberta? Absolutely. Still in the same area? Or in same the same house. Okay. She rebuilt the damn house. Oh, wow. She would, not, she would not be moved. She will not get out. Nothing will drive her away because that's where her home is. And there's no trees. There's no shade. There's no nothing. It's just it's a disaster area. It'll always be weird looking to me. Yeah, because I grew up going over there. I have such a close relationship with her and my grandparents because I grew up in the same town as them, which is such a rare thing. Most people don't get to do that. 
man, it was, I don't know. I have a, I struggle talking about it. So I admit, I mean, it's tough. You moved from Tuscaloosa Mm -hmm. shortly after that. Mm -hmm. How long? About a month and a half after. Do you think that you getting sick of it and frustrated and fed up with the fact that things weren't going the way you wanted them to in Tuscaloosa played more into that? Or did the tornado have anything to do with it? Is it something where you needed to get away from what had happened? The tornado definitely helped push me out the door. Really? Yeah. It didn't make you want to stick around? I mean, why why, why did um, it have the opposite effect? Well, I just think when the tornado happened, I had already made 95% of the plans you have to make to move. When that happened, it was just, I, I can't, I'm not good at stuff like that, man. I'm just not. And it was, it was one of those things where, for my own personal mental stability, it was probably better for me not to be here in the aftermath of all of it. I just couldn't handle it because of what it had done to what it had done to a town that I thought was so beautiful. I mean, it's just such a unfathomable thing. People that were not here do not have any remote understanding of what this town looked like when that happened. It was unbelievable, man. You know what I'm talking about. I you wasn't here. here. No, I wasn't here though when it happened. I was in Montgomery. Like when oh, the tornado right. hit, yeah, I was living in Montgomery, and Montgomery was getting hit the same day. Yeah. Not nearly as bad. I mean, there were yeah. some smaller communities that did, but I had to watch the ABC thirty three forty live feed yeah, 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 yeah. of the tornado just coming through downtown to, or on its way towards yeah. downtown Tuscaloosa. How I couldn't long believe after it until you came? I mean, when did you come? It back had been now? a little like a couple of weeks, yeah, probably. Well, you still? I mean, I mean yeah, I saw the aftermath. But you grew no, up I mean, here though, man. Yeah, you know, you know, you, like there's an emotional attachment. That oh, certainly, that grows certainly. Up here has to this town. Certainly, it was unbelievable. I yeah. mean, just to the, but you know, it's one of those things where even the photos didn't tell the story. Not at all. You know. Because I mean, you can't you can't stand in a photograph. No, you know what I mean, I couldn't imagine being here and walking down Fifteenth Street seconds after that it was thing in, it was blew intense. through. It was intense. That that's the only word I can think of to describe it. And you know, like I maybe if I was at a stronger point in my life, I could have stuck around and like waved the flag after it or whatever. But it's just that point in my life, I was going through such a transition of figuring out what I actually wanted to do, how I wanted to try to do it. That happened, and it just almost sent me right over the edge. I was like, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here and do something else. And I got to channel all of this into something positive. That doesn't mean I wasn't down here every weekend, though, after I moved, because I came back and I was down here. I was down here a ton. And I love the city. I love the people here. I love coming back. And it just hurts my soul every time you drive through here. So you could have gone to Nashville, Austin, Athens. New York, New Orleans, New Orleans, New York. You could have gone to any of those places. You went to Muscle Shoals. Yeah. Why'd you go there? I had friends there. Okay. And honestly, this was a point. This was a point in my life, certainly where I needed. I needed some friends without any kind of preconceived notions. I just needed friends that wanted to play music. That's it. And I moved up there without a band or anything. It was just like I'm just gonna try this, see what happens. But I loved the music coming out of there. I loved the records. All the records I'd heard from these bands up there were just fantastic. Yeah? Who like, specifically? I loved the Bear record. God, it's so good. Yeah? I liked Doc Daly's record, man. I loved all of Daniel's stuff, obviously, you know, because I'd been playing with him and doing stuff with him. I don't know. It's just any time we'd ever do a show, I loved Lauderdale's record. Oh, it's so good. You know, any in Jason's record. I mean, any time I had ever played up there or dealt with anybody up there, it was head and shoulders above any other area in terms of kindness, generosity. Let's let's work together. Let's do something. It just seemed like there was a lot more of a positive kind of feel coming from up there than anywhere else that I'd considered moving. And honestly, it's just because I knew a lot of people up there. 
made a lot of new friends up there. Moved up there, and then, I mean, you know, two or three months in, it just kind of fell into, it was like, man, we need a drummer. There wasn't a lot of drummers up there, too. I won't lie and say that didn't have something to do with it. It was like there's like two drummers up there that are really playing, and one of them's about to move. <laughs> and this is the Polly's? Or well, any, any, yeah, the Polly's the first band I started playing with right. up there, yeah. But, I mean, you move up there, and it's, you know, there's 12 bands here, and there's two drummers. So I guess you're drumming. I, you know, yeah. if, I, if I can get up there, I could probably have a pretty good shot of getting involved with someone and playing. And that's what I wanted to do. It was a total risk. I didn't expect to be there longer than a year. I fully expected to fall on my face and go somewhere else. But it was just like, I can afford to do this because the living up there is so cheap. <laughs> and I was like, I can afford to do this and just see how it works. It'll be good for my headspace just to kind of get into a smaller environment, just kind of regroup, chill out a little bit. Yeah, I was kind of running. Yeah, I was kind of escaping because what happened here freaked me out. Yeah. It did. I, I, I don't handle stuff like that as good as other people do. But you found what you were looking for. I did. I did. Yeah. I, I don't know how long I'll stay in Florence. Yeah. You know, um, but I did. I, and what I found were people that, you know, got a charge out of being creative and doing something interesting and trying to create something that's bigger than themselves. And there's a lot of that up there. And there's also a lot of nothing else to do, which helps when it comes to being creative. I mean, when you don't have 15 bars and you don't have Nick Saban and you don't have anything really to do, and I mean that, there is nothing to do up there except play. The music is the thing. That's it. Yeah. And if you're a musician and you're not at work, you're practicing or you're writing or you're playing, that's it. And if you're not doing those things, you're at one of two different bars in town and you're wasting yourself. And most people are playing. And that's what—that's the cool thing to do there. That's what everybody's trying to do. And you also got a job at a record shop, right? Yeah. That's, that's a no-brainer. Right. And so <laughs> that a record that, store in town. I'm going to work there. Right. You know, because, I mean, was you that a... train me. I can just walk in and work. Was, one. was that a big change for you? Is the environment there any different than it was at Oz or is it similar? Oh, it's much, much different. Yeah? I like both places. Right. There you go. That's it. Fair enough. I love Pegasus. Pegasus is a great store. It was really cool. You know, four months after working there, my friend Corey, who is a videographer, and he also used to play bass and kind of still does in Lauderdale, he does a video series called uh, Live from the Shoals. And um, he said, we're going to film a Live from the Shoals at Pegasus today. You want to come hang out? I mean, you know, you work there now. Come hang out. We'll, you know, you'll like the band or whatever. It was the album Shakes they were filming. It was before anybody knew who they were. And uh, that video made Pegasus famous. And it kind of made the album Shakes famous, too. It was a black and white video? Yeah. Yeah. I'm right behind camera two on that video. (laughs) I think that video is probably the introduction to that band that a lot of people had. For sure. Me included. It was was a really crazy thing, too. Because you were in that room, and it was just like, everybody just kind of looked at each other. It was like, ooh. Something very, very special just happened. Yeah. And I don't really know what it is, but you kind of feel it. And then it just blew up. Yeah. Yeah. I talked to Lee Baines on here not too long ago, mm-hmm. and we talked about the Alabama Shakes. And yeah. how, like, the first time I really ever heard of them, probably heard the name Alabama Shakes, they were playing Egan's as yeah. part of, like, a Bo Hicks birthday party. Yeah. And they were, like, the third band on the bill. Mm-hmm. And I saw the bands I went there to see. And I left a little early because I'd seen them, and I, I skipped their set just because, like, I was ready to go home at that point. Yeah. 
And then it turns out that was the Alabama shakes. Yeah. You know, some people in there saying, well, don't well, feel bad. Good. No, well, no, I mean, cause I saw them later, you know, before, like, you know, right before they blew up and yeah. you know, it, it was good to be a part of that, but it's just funny to look back and think like it was really that short of a time span when it was lift off. Yeah. Them. But don't feel too bad. I mean, Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa wants to adopt them as like their hometown band, which I think is funny <laughs> because before that even happened, the shakes, as they were called, right? If I remember correctly, and I'm pretty sure I'm I'm right about this, they played a show with the Motions at Egan's, and there was like 12 people there, and the shakes opened. Motions are now called Hartle Road, right? And they're a fantastic band, and the shakes opened for them, and I was there, and if I remember correctly, there was a lot of crossed arms and not paying attention, uh. and fast forward six or seven months or a year, and everybody, oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just this, and you know, they're <laughs> our hometown heroes and all this stuff. And right. It's like, look, they're not from Tuscaloosa. Right. They're not from Florence and Muscle Shoals either. <laughs> I get so tired of hearing people say that they are a Muscle Shoals band. They're not a Muscle Shoals band. Right. They're from Athens, Alabama, right. and they're damn proud of it. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I'm sure they had great shows afterwards, but don't feel bad that you missed it because yeah. well, a lot of people missed it. A lot of people did. A lot of people Well, that's the way it is for everybody. And. Yeah. That's how it always happens. Well, that's the, it could be anybody. The right. lesson there is that when you go see live music in any setting, yeah. if, the, if the venue you're at has a reputation for putting decent people on stage, <laughs> you should pay attention. Right. Because we are at a point in the music business that anything that is out there is totally on the verge of being legitimate. Just a couple of weird things have to happen. Yeah. People are putting legitimate art out everywhere. And... Not only is more of it being produced and more of it being accepted, a lot more of it's being ignored. So you can go out and hear anybody, and they may be the next next big thing. And they don't even have to be the next big thing. They might be your next big thing. Yeah. Getting people more willing to take chances on things they're not used to should be the lesson from the Alabama Shakes. I mean, have you ever seen anything like that before? No, and we never will. Yeah? I don't believe I'll ever see anything like that again. Yeah. It's and absolutely unbelievable. Did you ever play with them? Mm-hmm. Y'all played in Chicago with mm-hmm. them? Is that right? In, in yeah. other places? Or? The Polly's before I was in the band uh-huh. did a show in Huntsville and the Shakes opened for uh-huh. the Polly's. And then like a month later, yeah, they, blew there up. they go. And then we did, yeah, we did a show at in Chicago with them and we opened for it and they did it for like a, like you can watch it on YouTube. They did like a full series of it or whatever. It was it was fantastic. So Polly's and Belladere are your your two bands right now, unless you're playing two. with others. Those are my two right now. That's the only things I have time for. You loving it? I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Going well. Well, yeah. You know the Polly's are. It's it's like, it's so weird, because it wouldn't happen anywhere else. But the Shoals. It's a very Shoals thing to have, ten different bands with four different people. You know, it's very all in the family up there. Everybody kind of plays with everybody. The Polly's and Belladere are generally the exact same band. The Polly's just has Jay Burgess as the lead singer, and then a five-piece with Jay as the lead singer, and then the and then Belladere is a four-piece with Matt Green as the lead singer. Mm-hmm. The only difference is Jay. Right. That's the only difference in the two bands. But they could not sound any different. I mean, like, like they are the Polly's are like a, and I hate the term alt country. I hate that term. <laughs> I hate the term Americana, too. Yeah. Let me just throw that out there. All country, that's like all Muscle Shoals is, right? Just an all country place, right? That, yeah. <laughs> shameful. That's a shameful thing to say, my friend. But the, you, if you, you take the polys, it's like definitely a 
country roots influence. Uh-huh. Loud rock and roll band. Belladere is a is the product of people who really love Wilco a lot, you know, um, <laughs> and a lot of other bands like it. It's a subdued, very melodic, thoughtful, thoughtfully presented type situation with them. Both bands do stuff that's so different, and it's so cool to be a part of both of them because it's just it's neat. It's neat to see people completely put on a different hat and do something different in the same setting with the same people. Me and Chris James, our bass player for both bands, we we approach the way we perform and play our instruments so differently with Belladick than we do with the Pilots. But it works for both of them. And it's really fascinating to try to make both of them work and both of them be seamless. It, again, it's you're in an environment where your biggest concern is being creative. Let's create something that's great. And that's such a powerful thing to be a part of. It's mm-hmm. really, really great. You know, I've played Tuscaloosa a few times. Yeah, both bands have. Good yeah. reception here? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You played the Bama Theater last week. We did the Acoustic Night at the Bama. We've done Green Bar a million times. Oh, we've done Egan's. I think that's the three places we've played. I saw you guys at Egan's maybe the last time you were here. Played with Golden Monica. Yeah. They're Polly's a good band, huh? Yeah, they are a good band. Yeah. Yeah, they're cool. Great people, too. Yeah. That was a fun show. Yeah, it was. I hadn't played in Egan's in years. Really? It was great. <laughs> I love that place. I love playing there. I mean, you're sharing, you're sharing your art with someone every time you get on stage and play. When you're on the same level as people and you can look them right in the eyes and they can respond to you like they're standing in front of you, that's a really strong thing. I love playing rooms like that. Yeah. But then I love getting on big, big stages and playing and doing stuff like that too. It's fun. It seems like your life, from your perspective and the way you're talking about it, has gotten better professionally, mm-hmm. personally, since mm-hmm. you left Tuscaloosa, since you went to Muscle Shoals and found this new musical I would, life. I would say yes. I mean, I'm not satisfiable. I'm never gonna. I'm never gonna be satisfied. I'm always gonna nitpick. But nitpicking aside, yeah, yeah, it's been a great. It was. It was, a, it was a great move. And I know a lot of people. If I didn't sit here and say that it was a great move and a great thing, and I'm in a good situation, I'd have a lot of people that would contact me and call me a fool. Uh huh. Well, you know, I've gotten to do a lot of really cool things in the last couple of years, and I'm really, really proud of it, and I'm very grateful for it. And, I mean, for people who are still here mm-hmm. and are st- have been here for a while and were here as long as you were, yeah. is that something that you would tell them and emphasize to them? Maybe maybe you just need to go somewhere else. Oh, I think I think for certain people, yeah. yeah. You, need to, you need to go other places. I, personally, I don't want to be in the same place for a really long time ever again. If it were up to me, I would move every three or four years just because... You move, you you meet a whole new group of people, you get to do a whole different type of thing, and you get into all new dis- new situations. And if you're wanting to, again, if you're a maniac like I am, and you want to come up with something new, create something new, be a part of something new, contribute something new in the short amount of time we all have on this earth, I mean, you don't want to stay in the same place the whole time, I wouldn't think. But... I hope that there are excellent people who decide to stay here because I really do think Tuscaloosa has all the building blocks to be the society and the community that we're talking about that we all want. I mean, it's all baby steps, but it all counts. Like this right here, this counts. What you're doing, it counts. It really, really counts. The stuff like this, this is really important. Adam and uh, they were telling me about this show called Tuscaloosa Monorail. Yeah, they, they, they're doing now. Yeah, it's that pretty counts, neat. Man. It's pretty neat. Yeah, you know, it's like it, little things matter. Yeah, 
the fact that Egan's has not been bulldozed and a condo is not there matters. And yeah. frankly, every other bar on the strip that has music there, it matters too because yeah. all those people that are in there, the people at Egan's may not think that those people are ever going to be reachable and ever anybody that would listen to anything that they do. But let me tell you something. Those people and the people at Egan's and the people at Green Bar and the people at Bama Theater, there's a lot more in common there than you think. They all like a lot of the same things, and it's really true. It's just the, it's the language we choose to communicate with each other with. And somebody and something is going to have to be big enough and grand enough to connect all those people. You saw it happen in Athens, Georgia. It is very possible. And frankly, you see it happen in Florence. I mean, there's a university there. Those people listen. And it can happen here. There's too much division. If I could do something over again here... I would eliminate the idea of division from anything I ever did, even if it was like a subconscious thing, because division kills it. And when you're a kid and you are passionate about something, you have the you have the tendency to be divisive without even realizing you're being divisive. And then once you've become divisive, somebody calls you on it and you get pissed off. And it's like, I'm not divisive. <laughs> I'm just trying to do something, man. Even by that right there, you're being divisive. And you can't do that. So I do hope people stick around and I hope they I hope they continue to contribute to something that's really great. I mean what David Allgood does at the Bama is fantastic. The fact that I'm seeing Wilco play in Tuscaloosa tonight is well, the fact that I'm seeing Bob Dylan play in Tuscaloosa tonight <laughs> is is just I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, Bob Dylan played Homecoming. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which is an event. Oh yeah. So, so we're all used to, old Tuscaloosa kids are used to the homecoming concert. Right. The homecoming, like, I saw the roots at a homecoming concert. Yep, that was it. And it was fantastic. Yeah. That, I fell in love with Questlove that night <laughs> and have been in a, I mean, when they dropped deeply, Free Bird. Yeah. deeply romantic relationship with him ever since because I love his music <laughs> and I love what he does, you know? Yeah. I remember when Leonard Skinner played the quad and how horrible that was. And... <laughs> You know, like George Clinton. I remember P Funk. Yep. And how wild that was. And <laughs> I remember him wearing a diaper and all the uh, other crazy know. things that happened that night. Yeah. And, you know, like, so events are one thing. Yeah. But it's July 3rd. And two of the most important bands in this country, and arguably the most legendary songwriter to ever live, will play a show at our new amphitheater on the Riverwalk tonight in Tuscaloosa. And we are not three years removed from a natural disaster that could have closed the door on this community for a long, long time. There's a whole lot to be proud of in this community. Tuscaloosa has a lot to be proud of, and there's a lot of things they can build on. And there's a lot of things that if, if you want to make where you live better and you want to make you know, your whole situation a more positive thing, you got it now. Now's the time. You have so many things at your disposal, it's crazy. I could never have dreamed that we would have an amphitheater that would have stuff like that in this town. I grew up going to Riverside Amphitheater. <laughs> Earthfest. <laughs> hey, man, me too. Yeah. It's a long way from Riverside Amphitheater when yeah. you walk into Tuscaloosa Amphitheater. Come a long way. For I sure. mean, it's pretty amazing. Reed, thanks for doing this, man. Absolutely, man. Thank you. Thank you.